When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full time, part time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on the Blue Room and the Blue Room Extra. This week, I am joined by Mike Diasha and Hannah Farrell. Hannah was just regaling me with the, um, well, let's, I, I think it's important. I should acknowledge you, Hannah, because right now we are living in a world where the heroes of the NHS and frontline support are making sacrifices. And you were just talking about the, sacrifice personally that you are making just to be on this podcast today. So I, I don't want to denigrate you. I want to I want to see you. I want to acknowledge what you're going through right now. But I've been told that it is 30 degrees there today, which for you all, for, for my American listeners, that's about 84 degrees, which I have been assured is the temperature at which uh, English people melt. So um, Hannah, are, it, I, I hope that you are well hydrated. I hope you have water nearby. I hope I want you to know that this sacrifice you're making to me, I, I stand. I plan on standing out front of my house later on and clapping for you. I just want you to know that. <laughs> you are horrible. You know what? Come inside an English house in 30 degrees of all the insulation with the window shut. So there's no sound coming through on your podcast. So no, sorry, not having it. This is a sacrifice of sweat. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, how are you doing today? Um, I've got a little bit of sunburn on my elbow because I went for a walk on the prom before, but I'm sure I'll survive. Elbow? Okay. Yeah. yeah. What a like, mad place to get sunburn. See, see just there. Did you not oh, put really? cream there? I did. <laughs> I put cream all over, but like, I'm it's almost like, like he was walking around like this <laughs> in order to make that happen. Well, the sun isn't always above and in front of you. Like there are angles at which, if you walk and it hits the back of your arm, that does happen sometimes because it's yeah. such a strange spot to get. 
Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's me. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be right if it was easy, would it? I've got to be more difficult, and it's just the way it is. But yeah, I don't. I don't mind this sort of weather when it's in isolation. Like one day a year, maybe two at a push. But after that, it becomes a little bit like seeing relatives that you don't really like that much, and you're just a bit like, I'm done now. I'll just see you next year. Like it was lovely. We had a nice time for a couple of days. But I'd like to go back to wet, windy, rainy weather. Well, because... we are tomorrow. We've got a storm tomorrow. Oh, lovely. Thunder I can't and wait. lightning. Woo. Brilliant. Oh, man. You guys, see, I, and this is actually where you guys can educate me a bit on this uh, as we are as we are doing weather talk here on the kickabout. Um, how on the British. Blue room. Uh, how British. <laughs> no, I, well, that, that actually is a curiosity to me because my friends who live in the northern part of the United States, so particularly in the Midwest, like in Chicago or Minneapolis, or even friends who live in New York, granted, New York summers can be really muggy and kind of gross at times. But generally speaking, if you live in a place that's rainy and cold most of the time, most of those people that I know love the summertime because it's the small window of time where they can get outside uh, frequently, they're where it's shorts mike I, I i know you i've stayed at your house you are all about short season hashtag short season i don't know why it, it, but it sounds like you want summer to last for the briefest amount of time but maybe it's just because we define summer so differently and maybe short, that's why short season doesn't end short season <laughs> is a life like you you either subscribe <laughs> to that life or you don't like I'm sat here in my sliders and me Everton shorts with zips on and that's the life that I chose to live and that's the way I will live all the way right through November, December, January and February as well. So you get no choice. Once you once you subscribe to that lifestyle, it's like the no socks rule. We discussed the no socks oh, rule before. I can't, there's a point. I can't. Well, there's a oh, point Hannah. in oh. about <laughs> March. It's usually March where yeah. I will basically just say, right, that's it now. And I'll put all my socks in the drawer and I will not get that drawer out again. I mean, not the drawer. I don't get the drawer because that'd be mental. <laughs> but I will not open that drawer out again till about October time. And I've I'll got just... no beef with that at all. No? I, What's the point? I've had my Birkenstocks on now since about February. I've got no beef with that at all. I, I think that Mike <laughs> is conveniently leaving out some key details here. I just would like to say um as as someone who is of uh caribbean lineage i i am a big both short season supporter and generally speaking a no socks supporter when it comes to wearing flip like we call them flip flops i'm sure you have some really englishy word for them like flippy floppies or something like that (laughs) slides (laughs) slides. all right But Mike, Mike here is talking about wearing dress shoes with no socks, like leather shoes with no socks. Uh, and my no, question, no, 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 my no. My question, I've seen it. Don't, no, 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 me. I've seen it. You've, you've sent photos of this in our WhatsApp group of where you're wearing like a leather loafers or loafers of some kind uh, without I'm socks. Happy. Suede, where I would imagine that for someone like me, the sweat of my feet would like seep into the suede and ruin it. But <laughs> my, my question is mainly one of both hygiene and just general smell. 
which I just don't think, I think that socks exist for a particular reason with particular types of shoes that I just don't understand why you would wear, not wear socks with dre- with dressier shoes or yeah, business sorry. casual. I'm no longer on boards, mate. Ah. That's off, Scassy. It's not a lifestyle you can subscribe to and for that you can all get fucked, but you know. No. Um, <laughs> what I would say is there is a cheating method as well. Where when you are wearing like leathery sort of proper dress shoes, I will allow the use of socks, but not proper socks. Only those sort Liners. of little, yeah, yeah. the little yeah. sort of half look like ballet shoe socks where they just fit on the edge. But those are still socks, and I'm fine. <laughs> technically, <laughs> technically. But so the crew's gone out the window now. Mike looks well, they're acceptable. They're acceptable they're like- in, in short season, I think. But and and the no sock season, but. Other than that, I'm I'm not a big ankle sock kind of guy as well. Not even them. Just swear them off. No, I think like like especially I don't like when people wear like white ankle socks. That like makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. It's not a good not a good look. Not a good look, especially on a pale person. All right, leave us alone. (laughs) (laughs) I only wear see. So I have the socks that are below like what. Matt, what Mike's describing, which is sort of like a foot condom, essentially, but I, I wear those that don't show with certain shoes, so that you they're below the ankle, right? Whereas the ones that hit the ankle, I agree with you, Hannah, they don't look good. But I'll wear them with like if I go to work out or something. But I wouldn't wear them out in public to walk around in. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you, you were saying that. I was just imagining a condom on a foot. <laughs> oh. So yeah. Sorry about that. You should see forty-year-old Virgin. You should see forty-year-old Virgin. He, he. At some point, he. I think he gets one of those wrapped around his feet, and it's yeah. it's glorious. All I could think about was when you were talking about. You kind of went socks below the, and I just had an image of you in a pair of full-on proper footy knee socks. Like <laughs> I could picture in my brain. All the way to the gym. Oh man! I mean, I'm. A, I am converse. <laughs> I mean, I'm old as fuck for sure, but I, I don't know that I'm quite that old yet to have gotten to the the socks that come just below the knee and, you know, the old, yeah, that that's not quite there yet. <laughs> Stop. I, I can't with you. Um, speaking of style choices, I want to get to, you know, we've had a lot going on in the world. We've, we've suddenly had a lot going on with Everton. So I want to get to the the top story the big headline the 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 most important thing we're going to talk about today and that is Phil Jagielka's new hair. <laughs> okay, so it's almost like so if if you go for those of you who follow the Blue Room on Twitter, I tweeted a photo of it uh, in promotion of of the kickabout here um, before we start we before we hit record, and I promise I will share it again. Um, I, I I've started to I, I'm now of the opinion, by the way, guys, that I've got to be the one that tweets out about our our show because whenever I tell Matt to include a particular photo, he always defaults to some random Carlo Ancelotti photo because I think he doesn't <laughs> like whatever doesn't subject put the matter. Into this. No, it's just you know he's going through the motions with me. I get it. I get it. Uh, the kickabout is the uh, the step the the ugly you know ginger stepchild of the blue room. But um, it, to give you a sense of what Phil Jagielka's haircut looks like, because this of course is an audio medium and not a video medium. It's uh, the magic of podcasts is the theater of the mind. Uh, imagine that Sergio Aguero 
Imagine his hair. Imagine that Sergio Aguero, who just had a season ending injury, it's almost like his hair was this its own like separate living entity. And once Aguero got injured, his hair said, all right, Sergio, it's been nice, but now I've got to go somewhere else and be on someone else's head who can play football right now while you're injured. And it's like he decided it's like his hair we'll call yeah we'll call his hair uh you know like give it a name we'll call his hair nick nick decided <laughs> that that nick has got to nick can't just sit uh, around sergio Guerrero's cool pad undoubtedly cool pad doing nothing uh he needed to go be on someone else's head so he decided for some reason to go uh to sheffield and plop right on top of phil jagielka's head and that's what phil jagielka's hair looks like um, I want to go to you first, Hannah, because I instinctively, for whatever reason, um, maybe it's my distrust in Michael's, uh, Michael's, uh, general, uh, you know, fashion choices or outlook, et cetera, because of the no socks thing, but we'll get back to that later. Um, I want to start with you. I, I inherently and instinctively trust women's opinions about male hair more than I do about men's opinions about their own hair, because I think that we delude ourselves. Uh, whereas I think that, that I'm interested in what a woman thinks because as a, as, as, as a man, I look at Phil Jagielka and I think to myself, sir, you're an adult. You're someone's parent. Uh, you are, you're someone's father. You are, uh, you're not, you're not in your, <laughs> you're not a kid anymore. You're not out at a rave. Uh, what, what is going on? Why would he bleach blonde frost tip, whatever you want to call it with this hair that he's got going? I mean, I give him credit for still having hair at his age, but something happens to footballers after the age of 35. It seems like where they get really weird about this, their sense of mortality or whatever. Uh, like, and suddenly you're like, I've got to stay young. And the only way I can do that is by either creating hair where it did not exist before a la Wayne Rooney. Um, or I've got. Oh a, no, he lost his hair really young, though. Yeah, he was like, yeah. yeah, fine, fine. But my point is, is that why did it become a weird priority? You know, in his mid, like, kind of early thirties to start doing that. Whereas Phil Jagielka is what 37, 38 years old. All right, so Hannah, I'm going to just turn it over to you. What do you make of Phil Jagielka's hair, and is this acceptable on an, an on a human adult man over the age of thirty five? No, so I'm just looking at it now, and I've got a lot of a lot of issues over there. Um, listen, I'm all for if a fellow wants to throw a bit of dye on his hair, like that's fine, whatever. The first problem is it just hasn't got a toner, so I'm gonna just put that out there. Something it doesn't. It doesn't have a what? A toner. So that's when you bleach something that like calms it down and makes it more blondy. That's just bleach. So that's why it's quite yellowy. It hasn't been turned yes. down with a tuna. But then- I can see, I can literally see the anxiety in Han's face <laughs> thinking about the damage that that has done to his hair. No, it's just the colour is just wrong. Like, listen, I want to know how he's managed to get his hair bleached. And I've had my roots mm-hmm. since February at the moment. So I want to know where he's managed to get his hands on some bleach. But, Interesting. Um, I, I think what you described, right, is he looks like a wool at a rave. And that's it. You know, like, there's always, like, the fella with, like, his top off, like, the proper mink at a rave. Like, that's it. Cause, or, like, someone who would come over to you, like, like, trying to get a ciggy off you. <laughs> I feel like that's what he looks like. <laughs> um, or another, or, like, an angry, like, woman. I feel like that's, like, a middle-aged woman's like haircuts or like when a middle-aged woman tries to like spice it up a bit doing a bit of a I can't believe you've just called Phil Jagielka Karen 
it's literally a Karen Haircourt. <laughs> that is a Karen Haircourt. Like, ah, oh, no, it's just not good at all. It's doing nothing for him. If anything, it makes him look older. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think when men try to fight the aging process, it's like with women though as well, when women start getting like all stuffed onto the face and they end up looking really old. Like, it's just that's what's happened to Jan's here. I think he's been inside for too long, but it's all just got a bit too much. And he wants us to do sort of impulsive to get his life back after lockdown. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so it's so out of left field. I, I don't know. Why? I, I don't know what prompted it. I, I do get that that there's this sense of, well, you know, during the lockdown, people just got bored and started trying weird shit with <laughs> yeah, themselves. I you know? have pink hair, so I can't say anything like <laughs> But I never, you know, I never really looked at, at you know, human Premier League bot Phil Jagielka and thought he had the sort of personality that would suddenly come up with this. Like, yeah. I look at that photo of him and I think... Well, the first problem here is that he's not, you know, on a beach somewhere wearing a sleeveless shirt of some kind with, you know, carrying a volleyball. Like, I think that that's he he I, I don't even know where to begin, but it's I just wonder what it what makes someone like, look, we we all worship uh, Leighton Baines to a degree. And, and he's certainly gone through his uh, evolution of haircuts over time, which you would expect because of, of the decades in which he played played the game. But wouldn't it shock you if, if one day he walked right out of the right out of the tunnel with bleached blonde hair? And, yeah, and I guess yeah. I, I think Mike, yeah, Mike, so I'll, I'll come to you on this. Is First, uh, obviously, your thoughts on on the haircut, um, which you know, I I think you probably have at least some thoughts on it. But how surprised are you that of all people to do something like this, it's Phil Jagielka? I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Do you know? Do you know what? Like, of course, you do. This is a fella thirty seven years old who's still got all of his hair. Do what you want with it, mate. Like whatever you want to do with it. Yeah, but that bleach is going to thin it out. It might do, but you know what? Even if it does thin it out, he's still got enough hair that that doesn't make a blind bit of difference. Fair dues to him, because by the time I'm his age, I'm going to be balder than bald as possible, and that's just the way life is. But fair dues to him. I love it. Like, as you were saying, it's so left field that it was Phil Jagielka. I want to see more of this. I'm disappointed now, in retrospect, that Andrea Perlo didn't finish his career with bright orange hair. Like that's annoyed me now. I'm I'm annoyed that Gianluigi Buffon didn't get sent off for Real Madrid in his final Champions League game playing for them with green streaks in his hair. Like, why have I been deprived of this now? I want more of it. Like, Phil has opened Pandora's box of aging footballers who have their swan song with a mental breakdown hair. It's I need it now. I need more of it. It's like heroin. Just once you've had the first bit, that's it. You're hooked for life need more i i think he counterpoint he looks like tilda swinton um, he looks he looks, <laughs> he looks like he's just made up with himself like he's made that decision and fair dues to him I, i've got so much time for it for any fella who just goes do you know what i want to do that and i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna do that fair dues to him well look no one's gonna argue the point that you have uh, agency over yourself. You can do with your own. I'm very 
pro-choice when it comes to people owning their own bodies and doing what they you know feel must be done. I Don't understand that very quickly. Okay. No, but I, 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 We're talking about hair, Rob. No, I know, but I'm I'm making a broader point that Mike is saying essentially that he's got hair, so therefore he can do anything he wants with it. Technically, you're absolutely right. He can do anything he wants to. It's very much shave a swastika into it, like, but you yeah, know. yeah. But I'm also sort of like you know, it's that whole Jurassic Park uh, Jeff Goldblum scene where he's basically <laughs> like, we spent all this time asking, you know, trying to figure out if we could. We never asked if we should, you know. Or I'm paraphrasing there. I just. I don't know. I just I, I I looked at that photo and look, I I'm with Mike from the standpoint that I love bits. Bits are the whole reason that a show like this even exists in the first place. But bit but and hair bits, sure. I mean do a bit, but I, I think it's just that I would expect that more out of younger people because when you're in your twenties, you're being like when Tom Davis has his crazy, you know, locks and his long hair. Yeah, like there's something really cool, but but if let's say Tom Davis had had hair like Phil Jagielka throughout his 20s, and then suddenly came out with Tom Davis hair at age 37, it takes on a different tone. Maybe it's just about the sequence of things. It feels more like a sudden divergence from you, but maybe that's what you people know what go I through. I reckon it could be why. I reckon he was like. So now living on Merseyside, I can't bop around with a bonnet like that. So he's probably wanting to do this for ages and knew he'd get slaughtered for it. So he's waited till he's free, won't get terrorized by everybody for looking like a meth and sort of. That's what I think is, anyway. Is, is living on Merseyside really that stifling to your hair expression? Or living in Manchester or wherever they nah, live? No, you're just like... Different places have different things, which is okay and what's stylish. Yeah. And if you went bopping... Down County Roots of that ear, you would not be considered stylish. So I, mean, I think Bill Neville was not considered stylish. Oh, I didn't like it on him either. Like, no. wh- did did Phil? So I'm trying to remember. Did Phil Neville when he got to the club first? Was his hair already kind of? I feel like it was blonde initially, and then it got a little faded. That he kind of slowly phased that out. I think as years went by with Everton, I can't remember the timeline on that. Yeah, when he arrived, he'd already started having blonde highlights put in his hair. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what year? So that was what, 2008? God knows. Yeah. I, just, I hate that. It's like whenever I get put on the spot on the transfer pod when we have to guess like when players arrived and transfer. I can't remember. They All this blurs for me. If Mike doesn't know, then I certainly don't know. Um so, well, okay. I, I just I, I felt it it needed to be acknowledged, and it would be interesting to me to see if Phil Jagielka, like if there's if there's more going on there, like it, it's that idea of like if you see a cockroach in one place, there's actually a thousand of them behind the wall somewhere, you know. Or I, I kind of <laughs> wonder is Phil Jagielka is all we can see is the hair, but underneath his shirt, he suddenly got all these tattoos and nipple piercings and some crazy shit going on. Like, is he going through a a full midlife crisis right now? Or is this just a, a one-off hair thing? I I'm always fascinated by this. I really, really just, I hope he scores and just reveals like a blackout tattoo all over his body. Just like, Oh, I need it now. I'm trying to figure out what I like him. My initial thought when I saw that photo was, all right, this settles every uh, argument, uh, every every argument I ever had about Phil Jagielka. I was right. He, look at him. He's an idiot. 
But maybe, maybe I could go a different direction and say, maybe this ought to, Mike, in kind of the way you're talking about it, maybe this make me, should make me like him more. Maybe there is more than just the, like I said, boring human Premier League robot that I thought Phil Jagielka basically was for his time at Everton. And maybe there's, maybe he's got a wild side to him, you know, maybe he's uh, snorting rails off of uh, hookers, uh, you know, <laughs> in his off time. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. <laughs> Let's of course use the word allegedly there. I said maybe and allegedly, so I'll double qualify it there. But you know, maybe there's, uh, you know, maybe there's like a there's some wild shit going on with him. I don't, I don't really know. Was, so interestingly, with Phil Jagielka, was he was always whenever you spoke to people who were within the Everton setup, like in that sort of heyday of Moyes, he was always like spoken about as like one of the jokers within the team, as someone who was just incredibly funny and very quick witted. Mm. So he's like Phil's always had quite a bit of personality about him. Well, and by the way, I, this speaks to the larger issue that I've brought up before that is there a, is there a club and I'm sure there are others, but it just reminds me of how poor a job Everton does as a club in terms of letting us get to know the players in terms of their personalities. Like we really don't, unless they are super out front on social media. And I know he's got like a Twitter handle, maybe he's got an Instagram, but I feel like I would have liked to have known that. Maybe I would have felt slightly differently. I, I still think he was a pretty ineffectual captain, but maybe I, I would have appreciated the depth of him more and I could draw a straighter line to this crazy blonde dye job that he's got if I'd known more about him. Uh, maybe it's just a failure of marketing on the part of, of Everton. <laughs> it all comes back to Everton's failures in some way or another. Uh, all right, guys. Well, we are two games in. To, to Project Restart. I, I'm kind of tired of them calling it Project Restart. Yeah, because, we're a weekend now. It's it's like eh, it's called at the Prem again. Yeah, it's just it's just the game again, and it's not the same. And I'm I've got my I've already placed my pre order for the asterisk T shirt and everything, but I <laughs> I I do feel that it's you're right, it's Hannah. It's very tedious to keep calling it Project Restart, but we are two games back into the to the truncated season and uh i suppose that uh you could look at it a lot of ways um i mean we've we've kept a clean sheet that's good we've also scored one goal in two games Eh, that's kind of meh and par for the course for everton but we got four points that's good uh we drew against uh we drew drew against uh you know this is a mic shout out we drew against shelbyville and we Got three points uh, in a very unglamorous, not super sexy performance against the worst team in the league, but also <laughs> a game that we well no, but but a game that we we you know we we got our goal, we we were the better team, we won. It didn't look great, but we got the job done. Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. Uh, just in general, and I. What what's been the feeling watching these first couple of games? Uh, I, I I am coming from the the vantage point, obviously being someone who consumes ninety eight percent of every Everton match I've ever seen has been through television, so it's not as big a divergence for, for me. But um, and I know you don't go to every game, but um, I know that them being more readily available on television and obviously the lack of crowd and. And all of those factors play into it. But what have you made of these first couple of games, uh, both at the the Everton level and just general enjoyment level for you, if 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 at all? Um, 
So I've only watched one game from start to finish, and that was the Norwich game. Yeah, Norwich game. That's the only one I've managed to endure from start to I say endure. It's not really enjoy, is it? It's just the one I've managed to sit through from start to finish, that one. I can't watch derbies anyway. At the best of times, I've just completely just gone, nope, not for me. I'm going to go and do something fun with my time. So that one always gets written off anyway. But I don't know. It's just it's just different, in it? And I'm kind of a little bit sick of the analysis of it being different. It's like Han said then. We've done the whole project restart narrative. We've done that. Oh, there's going to be no fans there. What's it going to be? Well, we know what it's like now and we understand it. And I don't right. think there needs to be much analysis going into it of like that sort of, oh, it's so different to not. Yeah, we all know it is. It's yeah, just, yeah. And I think we just kind of accept it. Like, I'll be honest with you. I enjoy having winning football matches. It's something that's just nice. Like, it always will be. doesn't matter if there's 39,000 people there or it's our Kevin and his dog and that's the only people there. doesn't make a difference as long as they win the game. Fine, great. It's not the most important thing in the world. It's not the least important thing in the world. It's just nice. Um, from an actual Everton perspective of how to play, I'm actually quite positive about it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the taglines that have gone along with Everton performances with these two games has been tactically sound, structured, defensively solid. Music to my ears. Excellent. That's, that's, that is the building block. I would much rather take the boring one nil ground out gritty win than the four three win every day of the week because you control the game you don't lack control and that's so important when you're playing teams that are crap and you know we can sit here and say yeah they were bottom of the league they were on a really bad run they're probably going to get relegated we lost that game last season in the exact same conditions away at Fulham when we were on a really decent run went there and we're like right if we win this and got turned over 2-0 and Everton have always lost them sort of games it's just it's right. been year in year out you always go like do you know what they've had two two days more rest than Everton actually and they've rested the rest and quite a few players here and we've got 10 of the same 11 going and we've got to travel there on the day or oh, we don't know a bit of Everton always lose them games and do you know what they didn't. They went there and they won. And those sorts of things are the things that Carlo Ancelotti is going to bring to Everton where they just iron out those little imperfections that exist within Everton's DNA because he is a world-class manager. And one of the big ones that hasn't been mentioned as much as I thought it was, he's won, what, three of his six away games? Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah, it's become a semi-regular thing. Like, it's not this... It's not this unicorn that has to be chased down uh, like like it was under the last few managers where we just could not win, it, where winning a road game felt like this monumental achievement. And now it feels, it's starting to feel ordinary, isn't well, it? That happened three or four times where we get to the win at the top of the hill, the away game win. And then we come plummet and straight back down to the bottom, get to the bottom of the chasm. And then when you're at the very bottom, that's when the narrative would start to be like, they haven't won an away game in X amount, or now they haven't won it in X plus one, X plus two. And that would just go up and up till you got the top of the hill. You got your away game win. Excellent. Monkey off the back. Well, no, because you just start the cycle all over again. And as you say, if it's becoming this semi-regular normal thing, as it is for top six, Wolves, Leicester, to actually go and just go, yeah, we'll probably win. I don't know. Eight, nine away games. Yeah, fine. In the competitions. Yeah, win quite a few away games. Don't make it weird. Like for Villa or for West Ham or for Bournemouth, if they win the away game, it's bloody hell, we've won the away game here. 
Right. It shouldn't be like that. It should be, as you say, semi-regular. Just chalk off your wins. Get your points away from home against the teams around you and above you. Yeah, fine. But you go away from home against the teams at the bottom and you win them games. And that's the sort of thing Carlo Ancelotti is going to bring. And I'm quite happy with it. I'm looking forwards. They've got a week's rest now coming up mm-hmm. against Leicester, who will have played between a space of three days, four days, and then three days, and then Everton again, because they've got Chelsea in the Cup. When Let's be honest, Leicester are going to go all out for that game in the FA Cup right. weekend. So you'd expect that this game against Leicester on Wednesday, that's a big game for Everton. If they can win that, suddenly they're in the mix for Europe, and suddenly they're actually in the conversation again. When you go back to that Newcastle game, the one thing that you have that sticks in your mind is that Everton wrote themselves off Europe that day. Um, I think that they've really given themselves a solid chance now of if you get a result against Leicester, don't get beaten by Spurs away from home. Suddenly you've got quite a few home games. You've got Southampton at home. You've got Villa at home, Bournemouth at home, all coming up and they're all eminently winnable fixtures. You've got Tough away fixtures still against, as I said, Spurs and Wolves. But you can not get beaten in them and pick up your home points. Then Everton do have a real shock going into this last few weeks. And that's all we really wanted. And I think as long as the players keep giving in the effort and we actually do see a half-decent turnover of players actually performing in games, then they've got every chance of still qualifying for Europe. Hannah, I want to I want to stick with the theme. I just want to ask about this from something Mike said, which I thought was... Interesting because so much of what he said is are, are themes that it feels like we hear all the time about how, you know, if we could now we've done this. So if we could just do this again, maybe we get back into this and and we all are kind of conditioned to be cynical about it. But but Mike started off his um, um, his inspired uh, his inspired monologue there with uh, something that that I think is really what we all believe to be the potential key differentiator, and that's that's our, and that's obviously Carlo Ancelotti. the The sense is that we all kind of understand right now that we are a club that is that has injuries. We have deficiencies in terms of talent, especially in the midfield. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit as well. Um, you know, we've got the issues that I think we're all kind of keenly aware of. I mean, I think I talked about the restart and, and this idea that what are we really going to learn new about Everton? Um, and, and what new we can learn are some narrow things about certain players. Like I want to learn about Anthony Gordon. I want to see, uh, guys like a Wobi who we spent money on who are young. I want them to play more minutes. I'd rather I'd rather learn something than not learn something in all this. But to to Mike's point, I, I think that I too share this sense that even though we've won we've we've got four points from two games, it's kind of a you know a, a semi dull but but generally fine one nil win over Norwich that that this is something that is a a more sustainable type of result when you've got the circumstances we've got but b you have more faith in someone like Carlo Ancelotti to be able to continue to deliver something like this for the end of this season and and establish some some general levels of 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 expe- expect expectancy expectations what do you want to call it headed into next season my, my question for you Hannah is is obviously what have you made of of the first couple of games in terms of how you've seen Everton uh, what you felt about it um, but also do you feel like you've learned anything even in these two games about any players or just anything in general about Everton that you think uh, actually piques your interest in these last uh, handful of games uh, to close out the season 
Yeah, well, when I just initially say, like, how I felt about getting back into it, I can honestly say, like, up until Sunday about, until about six o'clock, I weren't bothered. I was like, it doesn't feel like Derby Day. It's not the same. I'm not interested. Then as soon as I saw the team sheets, I saw it, I was like, all right, it does feel like a match day. Like, just try and take it as it is. So I thought the crowd noise and everything did actually work. And I did quite enjoy watching it. Once you get past that, like, initial first, like, three minutes, I'd be like, oh, it is weird, isn't it? What everyone turns <laughs> and says to the person next to you, it yeah. sounds. So, I like, do you know what I mean? The, the, the derby was had a promising final, like, 15 minutes or something, didn't it? Do you know what I mean? It, I didn't expect us to have this big, high-intensity first game back, especially not against Liverpool. I was very happy with a draw. Would have been great if um, Davies or um, DCL got one, but they didn't. But mm-hmm. when you think back to the results we've had of Liverpool's toddlers a few months ago, I'll happily take a nil-nil, 100%. And, and like, seeing what our defence has been like in the past week, cannot do anything but sing praises for them. And then, obviously, the first half on Wednesday was embarrassing and dull. But then again, when you get in that second half, there was chances and you talk about people like Roby, like, where did that come from? Why have we not been seeing this? He's been bang average for months. He's been someone like if he comes on, you're like, oh, great. Like, mm-hmm. not too interested in that change or not interested in starting. Where did that come from? Like, that was his best performance. He was so progressive getting down the pitch. And he's a player now. If he gets integrated properly, like, think of the assists that he could, like, be knocking up for himself because he really did play great but then the other thing what you said about learning things about players one thing I have learned so um Tom Davies we were all like hey like he put a shift in on Sunday and he's been somebody for ages where it's been like come on you need to understand that he's in an area which we're all struggling and we all ripped to shreds saying that we've got no one in the midfield who needs to step up and fight for his place on Sunday I thought oh maybe he finally is doing that he understands that he needs to be putting that pressure on to have a place and not have everyone kicking off saying we've got nobody there. Obviously, on Wednesday, you show that you can't consistently do that, which is sad. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's someone mm-hmm. I'd love to work for. I've talked about in the past, it must be shifting him because he's come through with him. DCL, Holgate, people like that, all in England's under 21s, and they're coming through now, getting oh, highlighters yeah. for being out of the skin. Like, Holgate's getting praised. He could be like being a leader. Like, we all could say he could potentially be a captain one day and stuff. So, I feel really shifted on Davis because it just seems that. He can't just, even if he was just a seven week in, week out, that would do the job for us. But he's a free one week, a seven another week, and then that seems to dip the So I think I've learned a lot that it appears that Tom Davies can't play two back-to-back good, strong matches. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think my biggest thing is that I'm very intrigued now to see more of Iwobi and how Carlo's going to play that up because he kept trying to integrate him in the team when a lot of people were against it early on this year. So obviously there's always been something in training that's perked his interest up. So I'm hoping now that that's the time that we're going to see that because like I was so, like I was a bit taken back because I wasn't expecting it at all. Like I didn't think he'd be the player that after that boring first half would start conversations and people would be praising like he's the last player I thought that would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, so let's let's talk about the Iwobi thing. It's 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 a fascinating contrast because we've just talked about Tom Davis and Alexander Wobi, who are different positions. Uh, you know, for the most part, though, I guess Davis has played occasionally here and there on the wing in yeah. some weird scenarios, and Wobi has is uh, technically capable of playing you know more centrally in the midfield. But 
I, it is interesting because you said something, Hannah, that I think is true of, I'd like to think very, the most people who listen to any of our podcasts or who just generally support Everton. And, and that includes me, despite what people think. Like I, I actually I like Tom Davis a lot, you know, yeah. in the same way that I, I have lots of friends who I like, who I also know are not good at certain things either. It doesn't mean I don't like them, uh, but I can separate the person from, from their ability to play. I mean, I, I think with Tom Davis, I, I think the frustration is that you can't argue anymore that he hasn't had opportunity um, you can argue, of course, that the 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 crazy uh, situation at Everton with with this much flux and change has not been ideal for him, but it's not been ideal for Calvert Lewin or Holgate either. And and uh, that you know you either at a certain point you kind of have to sink or swim as a professional athlete, and that's and I think that we're kind of coming to that point because let's let's be completely honest, no Everton want Tom Davis to be like Calvert-Lewin and Holgate. There's a reason they market those three together so heavily. They want Tom Davis to 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 break through. And uh, I, I mean, I can't tell you how badly they must have wanted him to score that goal he almost scored in the derby, which I thought he was going to score. I thought he had scored for about half a second before I saw it. it the ball kind of bounce out. But I I think that that – we keep saying that the best case scenario for a run in like this is that we can finally learn whether some players have it or they don't. And it's hard to argue, especially with all the injuries that Tom Davis is not getting that chance or has not been getting that chance for a while. And, and so now we may have to kind of bite down hard and acknowledge some tough realities about him with, with a Wobi, Here's, here's my thought. Mike had an interesting tweet after the game or maybe in the next day where you were like, where, where did this suddenly come from? Hannah? And you express that same sort of thing. I, I think with Iwobi, I, I've always, I think I look at Iwobi and I can at least watch him, even when he struggled, and think, I get the idea. Um, he's got good pace. Um, he does look to create with whatever he's doing in terms of getting the ball forward. Um, sometimes he's in a derogatory way. People talk about, well, he's the he's one of those Arsenal hockey assist guys, the guy who has the pass before the pass or whatever. But, you know, you 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 consistently break down and we talked about this when he was brought into the club that, that uh, statistically speaking, he, he, he does have chance creation in him. And, and, and it, it seemed like, it seemed like a button got pushed um, in the second half. And I think, I think he ended up creating three chances for the game. They're probably all in the second half, but he just, I kept thinking throughout that entire, the entirety of that game uh, yesterday, uh, just get it to him on the wing. <laughs> and and the thing is, is that his effectiveness didn't feel like it was just coming from the wing. It felt like he was cutting in a lot. He was kind of forcing himself in centrally. You know, they brought Sigurdsson on to 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 the second, you know, in the second half. But I, I, I felt like the difference was less about Sigurdsson and more about the fact that that Awobi was being asked to to carry more of the load and or maybe he was being assertive in doing it. Some of those things click and we all think it's sort of magic, like, well, where did this come from? Sometimes what it takes is saying to a player, all right, uh, and I think this about Anthony Gordon too, by the way, um, I am going to commit to playing you. Um, you show me something in training. I'm going to commit to playing you and see if the extended amount of minutes will suddenly allow something to click. And for some players, it doesn't, but for some players, it does. And 
while a lot of people didn't think Iwobi did much again in the Derby, I, I thought his role, the role he was being asked to play in that was more defensive shape and cover and those sorts of things. But but you saw in the second half the idea of Alex Alexander Iwobi, which is this player who can um, who can you know hold on to the ball, who can who can create a pass, who can uh, you know get players into a good position, who really seems to see the game a step ahead. Um, I look at players like him and say he's twenty four. Um, he he is of a certain caliber. We've paid the money already for him anyway. We might as well find out what we've got. Anthony Gordon is a different scenario because he come he's coming up. Uh, you know, Anthony Gordon's coming up from our own ranks. But I, I also look at him and say, what I, I come back to is always the same thing, which is I would rather see him struggle in games and learn something and use that as a platform to develop those more positive moments. And I think that Awobi obviously is is five years older than 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 Gordon. But I, I think the same principle holds true that sometimes you just have to say, we can't keep chopping and changing all the time. We can't keep giving a player 10 minutes and saying that's his opportunity and then not see him again for a while. Or sometimes you just have to say, and sometimes it's a it's it's born out of necessity, but sometimes you just have to say, you know what, this is the lane I'm picking. This is the direction I'm picking. And I'm going to stick to it for a while and see if the players, player can rise to the occasion. And, and again, it's one half. And I'm not certainly saying Awobi has suddenly validated everything, but you can see the idea there, right? You can see the promise there. And so uh, that, that to me becomes the exciting thing about what we can hope for in this run-in is the, the, the notion that we can find out, yes, things about players, but hopefully what we find out actually ends up being something good. Yeah. And like, I think it's exciting because obviously in the builds up to Project Resource, we were all flapping about the fact that you can't get away. You can't get away from that term. Um, <laughs> um, you're like a prophet, is he saying it? But anyway, um, we were all just flapping about the fact that everyone seems to get injured. Was the underlying fitness thing? Why was all young players getting injured right before we were coming back? And that was the thing. Well, we've got no players. We're going to get absolutely like twatted by everybody that we play. So, like, that's it. So, coming back now and having players that you don't think would be surprising you, surprise you, and rising up to the occasion, it is an exciting thing because instead of just all the time thinking, well, who could change this, we're actually looking within our own pool of saying, oh, no, actually, we have got somebody there who just maybe hasn't had the right people around them or anything. You don't know what the situation could be. But I just think it's really exciting. And with Gordon, I made up the lab that he got to start. Didn't do he didn't do anything amazing in the game, but it's about getting confidence there and having someone like Ancelotti being to him like, oh no, I've seen what you've done and I want to put a bit of trust in you to get and do it. It's a big massive confidence boost for the lads. So I was made up for him to get a start. He didn't do anything unbelievable, but he's just good to be bringing him through, isn't it? Giving some confidence because then for you sure. can rely on him and call on him, then can't you? Well, confidence is the key word, I think. Like, and that was the thing that was really present with Awobi in that second half was that's a player with confidence and it just came out of absolutely nowhere. Just all of a sudden, something seemed to click with him because that version of Alex Awobi, who is dominant, um, knew exactly where he was going to run with the ball, knew exactly what pass he was going to make, knew what he was trying to do and trying to achieve every single time he was being progressive with the football. That version of Alex Iwobi is an absolute joy to watch because you know, like you were saying before, Rob, you just have this, like, just give him the ball, just pass him it. Because having a player that 
just is in that element of control and just knowing what they want to do. It's something Everton just have really lacked from any sort of offensive player. Oh, amen. Yes. Well, well that- we talk about this all the time. We we said this before. Everton lack alphas. They lack guys who want the ball and want to 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 take that responsibility and and have that, like you said, that that that's that decisiveness of knowing exactly what they want to do. Yeah, it's normally that fingers the ball's on fire. Let me give it to somebody else because I don't know what to do with it. I'm shit scared. That's the usual mentality. Well- Exactly, and people would all just sort of put their heads down and not ask for the football. That is the problem that Everton have found themselves in for a number of years. It's one of the reasons Everton are possibly the worst passing team. Just they're so bad. Like as Premier League football teams have gone over the past decade, I don't think anyone has made it harder to just look harder to pass a football between themselves. Everton really struggle. Yeah. It's mostly because there is no sort of dominant figure who tries to take control in that way of just everything. I don't think I've seen that sort of figure at all. I think the last one I probably did see was a game that Everton won 4-2 against Leicester. Tom Davies scored very, very early on in that game. Mark Albrighton scored a ridiculous free kick and Everton came from behind and won the game. And Ross Barkley controlled the game from start to finish. It was that sort of time when he was playing on the right-hand side of Ronald Koeman's setup, and he just in those run of home games that Ronald Koeman had when we secured Europe for the first time in a few years, Ross Barkley just controlled it in that sort of way that was just enjoyable to watch where games sort of flowed through him. And Everton haven't really had that sort of player properly for a very, very long time. That was only in a very brief spell. That was just a small run of home games that sticks out. But since then, there's been no real force there for that. And, that version of Alex Wobie in the second half, with that confidence running through him, you can see the potential there of a player who actually has some of those elements. Maybe he won't be the absolute fulcrum, creative fulcrum of the team, but if you can have a player on either side who are in control of the decisions they want to make and have an assured idea of what they're doing and isn't constantly falling over the feet or second-guessing themselves and scuffing passes because they're in two different mindsets, then that's going to make a very big difference with Everton going forward when with this entire midfield revamp. But the issue of confidence, you've both hit on the exact point that these things aren't coincidental purely based on just at some random time. Well, there you go. You just got confidence now. Like yeah. I was sat there thinking, where on earth does that come from? But if you think about it, Seamus Coleman behind him has just had the game of his life for the longest time we we, we can imagine in a derby. And he's started the next game. The two of them as a pair on the right-hand side have started two games consecutively. And he knows that behind him is someone in good form who is defending very well and still has the ability to push on and work in tandem with him. And obviously they've been training like that for the two weeks before for the game and have continued it for the past week. Those sorts of connections that I think we've seen on the other side with Luca Dean and Bernard to some extent, it's sort of a little bit more fleeting, but that's where the that's where the confidence comes from is that players have relationships with each other all over the pitch. And if the moving parts within their little units can be trusted, then you have so much more confidence in what's behind you and what you can do going forwards. And as you were saying, Rob, we just need to see these relationships develop all over the pitch. If that means giving players more and more minutes like Anthony Gordon, I'd rather see Anthony Gordon play over on that left-hand side and just say, right, see what you can match up with Luca Dean because I know that Bernard can play all right with Luca Dean. I know that relationship's there. If we need that, we can come back to it at the start of next season. But I want to see how you do. 
Let's see how that works. Or do you know what? If we're going to move around a little bit and we're going to play with number 10, let's see how Alex Obi does there. Let's see how Anthony Gordon plays there and interacts with the two midfielders. Let's see if we can create any nice relationships in the pitch there. That's what this is about now. You pass 40 points. Go and use this just as a chance to develop these intrinsic relationships all over the football pitch. It's what we see when we watch Jürgen Klopp's Liverpool. It's what we see when we watch um, Pep Guardiola's Man City. You look at the best teams around Europe. You look at your Real Madrid's of the past few years. They're all built on consolidated relationships between pairs of players, three or four different players who can all work really well within a unit. Those relationships have to be built on because Everton have just turned over so many players consistently by just two games. Now we really need to put someone else in. But you know what? They don't need the points right now. And you know, maybe they beat Leicester and we suddenly go, oh, Europe's on the cards here. Let's really go for it. And maybe you have two games where you really push for it. And if that comes off, brilliant. But right now, it's just about working towards next season. If Europe comes off, fantastic. But use this time to build that confidence between the players, build up the relationships and the little playing patterns because it's going to be so valuable in the future. Well, and Mike, you've just hit on something that's really fascinating. Um, I, I One of the things that I, I I think about constantly is that we demand consistency from players who are not provided, who've not been provided much consistency themselves. Uh, and part of that is actually taking a leap of faith and investing time in terms of the minutes. But you, you just said something interesting there, which was, you know, let's do these things now. This is what's important, you know, not worry about the, you know, the points are not as critical in the grand scheme of things, but you, you maybe even unintentionally stumbled upon something, which is what happens if you just do the right things? Maybe the points will come if you actually just continue to, to uh, create some consistency, create some uh, continuity. Uh, I, I think that all of this comes back to the manager, doesn't it? I mean, I think that that the, the or at least the, I, I keep coming back to this notion of the idea of, uh, but the idea of Carlo Ancelotti, the, the, the reason you're paying him is to be able to take players who, for whatever reason, you've brought into the club because they have displayed talent somewhere else. And the idea is that an elite manager can take good players and make them great. He can take average players and make them good. He can take players who've been inconsistent and maybe make them incrementally a little bit more consistent. It's why I keep continually harping on this notion that as as not fun as it sounds sometimes because of how obsessed we are with the, the transfer uh, transactional culture um, that right now, because of the financial constraints and a variety of other things with the stadium and you know what have you, uh, we are going to have to be a club that gets better in large part by developing the resources we already have on the payroll. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just it, no one wants to hear that. But uh, don't get me wrong, we, we we ultimately have to spend whatever money we've got on on central midfield and in the window, but. Generally speaking, I don't think that that the answers, as we've seen in very painful, stark terms over the last several years, is going to, you know, the solutions aren't going to come necessarily all from the outside. Some of them will. But the biggest acquisition that we could have made and we have made appears to be the manager. And, and that's something exciting. And and I want to finish up on one point because uh, I'm accused all the time of having vendettas, uh, which is only partially true. I, I definitely have some players I hate irrationally like James McCarthy or you know 
Phil Jackie all good. <laughs> all uh, goes back to Jags. <laughs> and one and one of them that I I kind of am on the fence with irrationally hating, but but needing to acknowledge is Michael Keane because I I think that what I've I've found and I would there there are a few players in these first couple games, small sample size and and, and all of that, but in these first couple games that I have enjoyed them because I haven't thought about them much. I haven't I haven't noticed them do anything egregious because players like Michael Keane, players like Jordan Pickford, especially um, who has been just fine. I haven't really thought about Jordan Pickford much. These two games, we've got clean sheets and that's the, that's the version of Jordan Pickford. I personally am looking for um, the, even, even Luca Dean, um, you know, Luca Dean actually is one of those players who sometimes his stats end up looking better than you sometimes realize, but Luca Dean's been solid defensively. I haven't had a problem with him, but but I wanted to speak in particular and just just kind of say really quickly, I, I don't think two games suddenly makes up for everything else. I don't think two games changes the fact that Michael Keane has physical limitations that aren't suddenly going to disappear overnight. He's not uh, he's the least athletic of all our center halves. He's not comfortable on the ball. But if you ask him to do and Mike, you've talked about this a lot. I know we've talked about this a lot with Matt. You ask Michael Keane to do a very specific job with a very strong partner, and I think we can all agree that Mason Holgate is beginning to establish himself as uh, you could argue he's becoming he's going to very quickly become one of the, the better center halves in the entire league, not just in the quote unquote rest of the best uh, outside of the top six. Um, I, I think that that you you create an environment for someone like Michael Keane to have success. I was happy to see him get a goal. Believe it or not, I want Keane to succeed because that means Everton is succeeding. Um, I think it will be interesting when Yarimina is healthy, uh, what the competition for all of those spots looks like. But at the end of the day, regardless of how you feel at this moment about what the pairing should be or who should start here and there, et cetera, et cetera, every successful club has to have at least three center halves that you feel confident in being able to call upon at any time. Preferably, you'd love to have a fourth that you also feel that way about. Uh, you don't want to be as thin as we are. Um, any other play- th- Those are the players that stood out for me. Have any other players surprised you from that sort of standpoint of, huh, I've been pleasantly surprised that uh, they've played better than I I thought, or besides like a Wobi, but maybe in a less noticeable way, someone who's just kind of kind of flown under the radar for you that that you want to bring special attention to. Hannah, I'll start with you. I don't feel like in terms of going under the radar, I just think the only thing which is not surprised me, but just made me happy is seeing Coleman get that pre-injury confidence back. Like it was it wasn't something that surprised me as it went under the radar. It was just like, oh. I've been waiting to see that confidence again to make get into things like pre-injury coming at Obi's World of and wouldn't have thought about doing. So I think that's the thing which has intrigued me the most to see if that continues, basically, because when Coleman's in top form, then that really does make for a very different type of size. So it's probably it's a very main stream opinion. We're all buzzing with him, but in terms of someone going onto the radar, really, apart from what you said about Keane, really nobody that I can really think of who's... Yeah. That, which might take yeah. might signal a lot of things about the side. I don't know, but no. Well, but you need play. But sometimes that's the best compliment you can give to certain players, isn't it, Mike? That that you didn't have to think about them much. I I always frame goalkeepers that 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 is my ideal keeper is one that I don't have to think about much. It doesn't mean that they can't ever make a spectacular save or save a pen, but uh, I just I just don't want to have to think about certain types of players. I think center halves fall into that. Uh, if if you don't notice them throughout a game, that's probably a, a good sign uh, unless you really notice that like Keen was a player 
for instance, who you notice for his mistakes. Tom Davis is, can falls into that. He can, you know, a lot of people thought he was pretty solid in the Derby, but I remembered the two big turnovers he had late on that created chances. And I think that some players kind of attract that stigma to them that that they're known for their mistakes or their gaffes, whatever you want to call them. Um, whereas I think maybe this is again a tribute to the manager. Solidity sometimes means uh, you are suddenly a slightly more anonymous, but yet more solid piece of the overall equation. Um, the worst goalkeepers are invisible, but the best goalkeepers are invisible. They're just invisible in very mm. different ways. Yeah. And um, Jordan Pickford, in terms of the way he's handled himself from a goalkeeping point of view, I would say he's been invisible in a good sense. Um, from a kicking standpoint, I think he's been incredibly poor since we've come back. That's one thing that I just... The amount of time he just boots the ball straight out of play is just not not great. It's been going on for a while, hasn't it? it yeah. His, you know, his bit, by the way, is very Sigurdsson-like. We were told when... Pickford came, was coming to the club that he, we were getting the best kicking uh, keeper in the world, maybe. Uh, just no, like with Sigurdsson, we were being told we were going to get free all these set-piece goals, and it just it never has come to fruition, really. Well, the thing is, Jordan Pickford, sometimes his distribution is absolutely spot on. It's brilliant when he just has to find a fullback on the halfway line towards the, the byline, and there's a little bit of space there that he needs to have it on. He can usually get that spot on, but there are times when might be two or three times in a game, he'll just boot the ball straight out and it can just see momentum shift so quickly. And there's one that sticks in my mind. It was a game away at Watford that we lost 1-0 when Troy Deeney scored, I think it was. And the entire game just turned on a momentum of him booting the ball straight out from a goal kick and the manic five minutes that ensued ended up with Watford scoring. And those sorts of things are just things that he has in his game that I'm not sure if they ever go completely, but it seems to have just increased slightly. But from a goalkeeping point of view, got nothing to complain about not even going to think it's worth mentioning which is excellent that's what I want from my goalkeeper I want him every single week give me 7 out of 10 save the things that need to be saved and you know what if a worldie goes past you a worldie goes past you save the routine stuff focus on that find your men with kicks and that's where you work from Um, a player that has impressed me I wouldn't even say... I, I, do you know what I would say? It's gone under the radar a little bit. He's Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I think he's mm. come back and he looks up for a fight more than I've seen I've, more than I've seen ever for him, which is impressive because I, I did have these thoughts going around my brain after the lockdown stopped football for a while. I kind of thought, how does Dominic Calvert-Lewin come back? Does he come back the same player or does he come back just on that sort of away from his purple patch like that one of those things is it just a purple patch was he just in good form or is this a sign of an improving player and one really good sign is when he gets the ball and this especially for that Norwich game was when he got the ball he just did things and that's it sounds so simple but every single time he get the ball out from under his feet take a touch look up, make a cross, have a shot, take his man on. Just he would do something and he would look incredibly dangerous doing it. He constantly drew fouls, just doing absolutely everything right. Looked up for a fight, looked like he wanted to score goals, looked like he wanted to provide goals and looked like he was capable of doing those things and mm. going to get closer. And he's going to get more goals this season, whether it's sure. one, whether it's a couple or whether it's anywhere close to five, you will get more goals this season. And 
that is just it's it's impressive for me from where he was at the very start of the season. I didn't foresee this. I've always said that there is a player there and incrementally he will improve, but the improvements over this this like oof, what is it, six months, maybe about six months ish, but especially under Ancelotti has just been excellent and the, the player that we have there now looks like a player that could be there for a long time to come and that's really just a really good thing and the reason it goes under the radar is because people almost expect it of him now which is brilliant that's yeah that's what great I want. problem to have that's i'm guilty of that completely because when you've mm-hmm. said that i thought you know what that's exactly right because when the people have said oh a player's going to come back and lost the momentum he hasn't lost any of that he's came back as if he plays a few days before, as if no momentum has gone to, I completely get that because I just did, and that thing expects them to now, which is great. But like I was guilty of doing that, definitely. It's so, and just to to speak to that point, uh, yesterday I can't remember whose cross it was. I think it was a Wobi, but that 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 header that uh, Calvert-Lewin got his head on and didn't score. You know, the entire tone of that has shifted from whereas a year ago I would have been like. Well, you know, that's Calvert-Lewin, you know, he just, that's just not, he's not a goal scorer to now. I was disappointed, but only because now I expect him to score those goals. Uh, that's the, and, 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 I, and I mean that in the most complimentary way, complimentary way possible, um, because he is someone who's, who's completely won me over. Um, I, I never really doubted that he, uh, had attributes, especially athletically that were, that were, um, definite uh, positives towards contributing to a winning side. I just thought that you can't sustain a formula where your where your main striker doesn't score goals. Now he's scoring the goals. So all of those other parts of the game, Mike, that you just talked about really uh, almost become even more pronounced than how, how important they, they potentially are to creating a well-rounded player. Like I don't expect Calvert-Lewin to ever be this, you know, when he's got the ball to be this silky smooth score, but I do expect him to be a really good finisher, which he's become. But what has impressed me the most to your point is he's the physicality, the fight, but also, and I've noticed this several times, that guy can pick out a pass. There are not many men who play his position who seem to have an eye for, for, and occasionally not, and I'm not talking necessarily just a, a five or 10 yard pass. I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> 25, 30 yard pass in the air and, and just, you know, hitting guys in stride. I, I think he created a chance for Richarlison maybe in the Derby like that. I, I think, I think Calvert Lewin um, is such a self-made man uh, in, in many ways. And uh, it's, it's really fun to watch. Wow. We've done a lot of uh, heavy Everton talk for a kickabout, which I know would normally uh, would upset you guys, but Hey, it's something that uh, is good when we have wins to talk, when we have like four points in two games to talk about and generally positive things to talk about. I want to end because we are definitely, I don't know what overtime even means because I've never really subscribed to the theory that podcasts should only be exactly one hour, but we are going to wrap things up. And I asked Hannah and, and Mike to do a little homework. I don't know how much homework this is uh, in the grand scheme of homework, but um, it is summertime now officially. Uh, Hannah is melting before my very eyes at this moment. Uh, we've <laughs> got to get off this call soon so that she can uh, seek medical attention. But um, I asked each of them, because I'm a big believer, as you guys know, I'm, I'm a music nerd. I have a radio show uh, because I am fulfilling my, my child dream to have a uh, Saturday night show for which I get paid almost nothing so that I can just play whatever I want to play for the for the masses in air quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
Um, I'm a big believer in this idea of of seasonal music, like bands, artists, albums, especially that seem to fit a particular time of year. I especially understand that to be true and believe that to be true for summer and, and especially autumn and winter, uh, you know, in autumn and winter, especially from where you guys come from, there's just so much source material to choose from because I feel like 80% of that music came from the Northwest of England, but um, summer music vibe for me. Uh, I love summer albums because that is my, walking outside music that is my lounging by the pool music that is my uh medicinal music that is my drinking music that is just my sunshiny soundtrack to my life uh, during that time so what i asked hannah and mike to do was to each pick out um a summer album to bring to the podcast today just to tell me why they picked it and our homework after this is each of us uh next time the three of us are on um we will have listened to each other's records uh if we haven't listened to them lately and we will report back on how we felt about them but first things first hannah i'm going to start with you what record did you pick and why suck it and see arctic monkeys so I don't know why. Good. I think, you know what? I actually think it is because of the Suck It and See video. So I will say, I think it is music video influence where it's that video in the desert or something. Just the beginning of that song, which reminds me of Summer, but then the whole album, like She's Thunderstorm, Brick by Brick, which are all iconic songs from when they did Glastonbury, which is obviously summertime. Don't know why, it just always takes me back there. Oh, and yeah. it's the album, which has got the most different sounds, all the other stuff the least heavy before tranquility and bass. And I think it's just the more chilled, as you said, sitting in the sun, having a drink type of thing. Not that all the big anthems came from it. There's no mm-hmm. like the like the big like I kind of tunes from the album. But for me it's just the perfect like level for having a chill. And it's nice. just nice music. So yeah, suck it and see and she's thunderstorms, which is the most underrated song by the artists ever, I think. I just oh, can't so. not hear cheese thunderstorms <laughs> like, like i just can't like remember my favorite song like do you know what like i love that song but when you listen to just the opening just the opening guitar and the initial cheese thunderstorms it just sounds like cheese thunderstorms like listen back to it and I swear to god he is saying cheese thunderstorms man i'm hungry i haven't Don't had lunch yet so this. i'm suddenly <laughs> listen I'm not going to let that ruin when I go and listen to the album after this. But yeah, great album. But the only heavy tune on there is Don't Sit Down because we just hear book was one of the most well-written songs ever. And yeah. the album's got everything for you. And it doesn't say what Mike said. We're not going to ruin Alex Hannah's beautiful sounds. Oh, no, of course not. And Mike, <laughs> what's funny about what Hannah's ju- said about her justification for this one was that it's not arctic monkeys album full of the big big singles or big anthem songs it's it's something a little bit different the tone's different uh i've i've i recall a conversation that we once had about why you love angles by the strokes so much it was one of those kind of reasons too is that it doesn't really sound exactly like the other strokes albums but there is something that's definitely a different sort of vibe that that makes it a, a unique and better you know kind of cool experience which by the way that's one of my other summer albums i really enjoy so Mike, what is yours? Coincidentally. No way. My summer album is Angles by the Stroke. <gasps> so I'm literally this morning, it's all at, like this morning. Sat there in the, with the hot weather. That was the first album I put on shuffle this morning. I, 
I want to assure everyone who's listening that I that totally was an off the cuff comment for me. I did not ask Mike what he had picked, but he's talked about his adoration for you know th- for angles for years because I'm I am going to die on that hill with him because I think for me it's it's my second favorite Strokes album and really it's probably the one I listen to the most if I'm being honest. But it's 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 such a great album, Mike. Please tell us about why, especially for an audience who kind of like to what you said, Hannah, I think a lot of people, if you say a band's name, they, they immediately think of like maybe two albums and then th- that's where their, their frame of reference is. When you say the strokes, uh, people just immediately go to, is this it room on fire? And that's, and they almost kind of view the other albums as afterthoughts, which I think is a real re- reduction of, of the strokes. So, so tell me Mike about angles. Well, as you say there, so when people say the strokes, you immediately go to Room on Fire and Juice Box and stuff like that, where it's bass heavy, just a little bit in your face, just a little bit, not quite angry, but not content, not happy. And this album is the antithesis of it. It is sort of electro. It's so funky and it's just, it's happy. And it, as soon as you start with, I think Matthew Peach is the first album on that track, on that record, and it's just a banger of a song. It's so good, it's excellent, and that's straight straight into um, Undercover of Darkness, which again, it's another one, and it carries on two kinds of happiness where it gets even more floaty, even more electric, and and it culminates in stuff like Call Me Back when it slows right down, but it still remains the same, just the same tone, the same vibe, and it's such a variant on itself it's just a gorgeous album that when you're sat outside having a drink there is nothing nicer to listen to because it's just everything that was ever enjoyable about their music ironically made at a time when they didn't enjoy music it's just such an amazing mix but um for me the reason it's my summer album of choice is because the first time I ever saw The Strokes was at the Benicassian Music Festival in Spain, and mm. it was in the middle. It was in the middle of July. It was what thirty five, thirty six degrees. It was absolutely cracking the flags. It was eleven o'clock at night, and it was amazing. And it always just takes me back to that feeling, and I love it. One of mine that was very close to being my final selection, but didn't quite make the cut was Vampire Weekend's self-titled album. Oh, yeah. Going back to 2008, which is just, like, when you go back and you listen to all that sort of stuff, like Mansford, Mansford Roof, um, mm-hmm. Oxford Coma, um, what else? Bloody hell. So many on that that are just oh, yeah. so good. It's... M79. Like, there's right. so many just lovely summer-based tracks on there. And Blake's got a new face, which is a weird, but yet it works on there's, that album. Just there's so much that is good about that. And yeah. another one that reminds me of summer when I was a teenager, must have been about 16 years old, is um, I think it's Tourist History by Two Door Cinema Club. Oh, my mm, God, that them, is yeah. a summer album, if ever there was one. Like, <laughs> But none of them come close to Angles by the Strokes. That's no. the ultimate. I'll give you well, one. Well, and, and I should point out that I, I said pick a summer album because I, I'm, I wouldn't dare to believe that anyone has only one favorite summer it's like asking to pick your favorite what's what's the best movie ever i mean that's such a it's almost a dumb question that can't be answered but do you not um, not have your favorite film ever 
I don't know that I could pick just one. See, I think I, I could do like a top five, maybe, but I don't know that I could pick just one. But uh, you're getting me off I've track got one. here. I've got one. You're getting I've me got off one? track. Yeah, we've both got one. <laughs> okay. Save that because <laughs> we're going to need content for a future episode. Uh, I'm going to finish with mine just because, you know, once once this thing gets to 90 minutes, I'm going to get an angry email from Blue Room HR, as we like to joke about. Um, so mine... Uh, Mine is one that I, I probably can listen to any time of year, but it's definitely like a warm weather album. Like I, my summer albums generally fall into two camps, which are kind of like, you know, the fun bouncy type music or like chill vibe sort of music. Uh, and mine actually brought out of my record collection is simple things by zero seven, which is just one of the most gorgeous. Uh, Chico Zul is also another big fan, by the way, of zero seven uh, for those of you uh, on the Everton Twitter, but it is such a, it's such a, it also makes me think of Glastonbury. You know, I've never been to Glastonbury because I've seen uh, their sets at Glastonbury, which is just such summertime, like chilled, probably drinking druggy sort of music, but it's all very, um, sometimes electronic music can devolve into pure computer driven, almost dehumanized sort of music. But this is the first album. This is the album where essentially Sia came into our, our knowledge. Uh, Sia sings a few of the songs on this. She ended up doing uh, several of the lead vocals on uh, I think the first three zero seven albums so zero seven is one of those bands it's really like two guys uh but it's 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 a it's um it's largely instrumental music drums guitars keyboards those sorts of things but they have rotating lead singers and all of the music is just there's something kind of like sexy but yet completely at ease about it and i in the same way that people talk about uh, air by uh, moon safari by air i know les is a big fan of that album that's another great summer album um this this album i can just play it from start to finish and i love every one of every one of them the the tracks of course that stand out uh for a lot of people but especially uh for for me are destiny which is my favorite sia song ever um and then you have of course in the waiting line which is probably their biggest it's probably their biggest hit ever it was on a bunch of soundtracks in in the 2000s and uh, it's just a great song but it is great headphones music it is great uh, lounge music it is it is fantastic so uh, i think i'm going to probably make this sort of a theme of the next uh, several shows throughout the summer is asking guests to bring a summer album and, and just tell me what they're listening to because i think we could all 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 use those kinds of uh, vibes as we get through the hot sweltering uh hannah farrell melting summer that uh, we're currently enduring. So, well, guys, with that, uh, look, I, I always go long when I when I have you guys on. It's just such a pleasure. Mike, uh, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on this week. Uh, if you're listening to this, of course, uh, we the Everton season is back, so uh, we'll have all the usual content on Blue Room coming up uh, over the week, uh, over the next week or so. I know we've got a r- relatively new episode of the 11s that just got released in the last week, uh, Mike, that you were on. Yep, and there will be another one coming up this week that I am hosting, and the topic will be very enjoyable. Nice, nice. Uh, We've got Mailbag uh, coming up, uh, and we'll obviously uh, have the weekly, subs weekly, post-match. There's just so much going on all the time, but uh, as always... I. Cookie wants to be a professional wrestler. I'm Cookie Serratos and I'm 11 years old.
She also wants to win all the medals. That's why Cookie and her family make every day count, squeezing out her best with GoGo Squeeze. Okay, Cookie, let's break for a GoGo Squeeze. GoGo Squeeze fruit on the go pouches are a nutritious snack made from 100% fruit with no sugar added. Go, Cookie! Because when you nurture your kids, you squeeze out the best in them. Squeeze out their best with GoGo Squeeze. Not a low calorie food. Products range from 11 to 13 grams of sugar and 60 to 70 calories per serving. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.